Father, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us together here tonight, and we pray that you would teach us, and uh, Lord, that that we would have it in our hearts to live, to walk, to to speak, to think, to behave in ways that are only honoring and glorifying to you, Father. We thank you for the opportunity to suffer in this life that we might be glorified in the next. And Father, we pray that uh, that these truths would be as real to us as they are to you. And we thank you for all these things in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8. We, um, we kind of sat in uh, verse uh, 17 and 18 last time. Why don't we um, pick it up again from verse 12, Romans 8:12? Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now we talked last week um, about uh, about suffering, and I, I, I tried to show you that um, suffering with Christ is um, in Paul's thinking and in his instruction here anything and everything from uh, verse 13 mortifying the deeds of the body that is uh, denying the flesh um, to mortify is to kill and he's been talking about the death of our flesh for the last three chapters now and uh, to to actually take that doctrine that truth of the death of the old man the death of our flesh and put that into practice the flesh wants to do this, but we have the sentence of death in ourselves, Paul says. So we don't follow the dead flesh. We are led by the Spirit. And, and being led by the Spirit, we walk as the children of God. So there is suffering in that. There is suffering in the context to follow uh, just by virtue of being in, uh, in and a part of this sin-cursed creation, the physical travails and pains and things that we go through just being a part of this world. And then we uh, saw that that also expands into the kinds of things that we think about when we think about suffering for Christ, uh, persecutions, um, you know, everything from you know beating and imprisonment and all those things that Paul listed uh, more than once in his in his writings, the things that he suffered. And he included in those uh, beatings five times received I the forty stripes saved one, saved one, and I was beaten with rods and all of those things. And then he says, and also what comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. And that, so he considered that 
also a form of suffering for Christ. His concern for the brethren, his um, uh, his his angst, if you will, for the uh, for the growth of the saints and for the errors that they were falling into, and and those kind of things. So all of those things are involved in our suffering with Christ. It's um, you think of the sufferings that he went through. Again, it's not suffering for Christ, it's suffering with Christ. And all the things that he went through uh, while he was here in this human flesh, the things that we go through, he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So as we respond to the sufferings of life in a godly uh, manner, with patience, with godliness, we don't let it uh, harden us. You know, the Lord said that in the last days, uh, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And and you know, living today, you can see how that how that happens. The corruption and the uh, uh, the evil that's out there in the world tends to harden people, and it and it. And it isolates people, and and it's you know you're going to be a jerk. Okay, fine, I'll be a jerk, and 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 before you know it, it's kind of everybody out for themselves. No one else is looking out for me. I got to look out for myself. And because iniquity abounds, the love of many wax cold. And you you need and we need to to not allow that to happen. We need to suffer with Christ. Uh, in a in a in a godly way to respond to the evils of this world in a godly manner and that uh, works for us glory in uh, in eternity because we are walking now today as the sons of God as what we will be out there in the future visibly. So that's what God is looking for. He's looking for saints who know how to suffer. Who know how to suffer uh, with in faith, in patience, long-suffering, in godliness. So we talked about that last week. And, and Paul's secret to doing that was there in verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. So there's two things there Paul is is looking at. He's looking at uh, the sufferings and he's looking at the glory. But you want to see the difference between those two things. He, When he looks at the sufferings, he says, I reckon, I reason, I, I consciously take a perspective towards suffering. And the perspective is that it's not Worthy, and you see this over and over again uh, in the, with the, the people of God in the Bible is that they were able through the, through faith through the power of God to to take a small view of suffering. He wrote, Hebrews again. I think we looked at this last week or quoted it anyway. The, uh, says that the Lord for the glory that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. 
So he was looking past the cross at that glory, which is exactly what Paul's telling us to do here. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. We've got the glory on the other side uh, over there, and if we if we get a, uh, a, a a big perspective of our sufferings, it blocks out the glory. What we need to do is we need to take a small view of our sufferings and let the glory outshine it. That's what Paul is doing here. It's about perspective. And it's not about psyching yourself up into something that isn't true. It's about seeing what's true and believing it. Getting God's perspective on these things. So it's in the reckoning. And just like Jesus despised the shame, that is, he thought lightly, he thought little of it, Remember, who cares? So we're suffering, right? And again, that's easy to say. But can you say it and can you take that attitude when you're going through it? You can't if, you, if you're not watching the glory on the other side because otherwise, if there's no glory on the other side, what's the point? Paul says, you know, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. Why? You let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If there's nothing, uh, if there's nothing back of that to compare it to, and Paul says, don't compare it, because it's not worthy to be compared. It's the sufferings that we go through are for such a short time against eternity, and they are so small against the magnitude of glory, that Paul uh, takes that is able to take that realistic view by faith. Plus... It's not only that the suffering is small and the glory is big, but the suffering is working for us. It's moving to our benefit toward that glory. The suffering is making the glory bigger. So that's the, uh, the perspective, that's the doctrine that we hold to uh, when we talk about being suffering saints, suffering with Christ and uh, making that investment into eternal glory. So I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, Paul is about to take us into a couple of different uh, uh, truths here, and not the least of which is a very uh, dispensational one. This passage that, that's coming up that starts with the sufferings of this present time. And that is a dispensational statement. Paul says, The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. This present time is the dispensation of the grace of God. Now, as you go on through the passage, let's read down uh, the next several verses and get it all in a, in, a, in a big bite here. 4, verse 19. The earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. There's another one. Dispensational marker. Until now. 
And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Now what Paul is saying here, he's laying out the, uh, the, the kind of physical nature of this present age. And this present age is an age of suffering. Just like it's an age of God's wrath delayed. The dispensation of the grace of God is also an age of God's kingdom delayed. The kingdom to come, which was to follow the wrath to come. And what Paul is talking about here, this this passage in Romans 8, verses 18 through um, 25 or so is a is a um, is a I'm going to say it this way an anti kingdom passage. And when I say it when I say that I don't mean Paul's against the kingdom. Maybe a more accurate way of saying it would be a non kingdom passage. But I like anti kingdom better because Paul's point here is that the glory to come is is in abeyance, is waiting. Look how many times he uses that word. Um, Verse 19, The earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Verse 23, Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first roots of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Verse 25, If we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. See, the whole idea there, is that the glory that is uh, that is to come is not uh, he has not yet come. Now you say, well, that seems obvious to me. Well, it, that's a good thing that it seems obvious to you because you understand the word of God rightly divided. But I'll tell you what, it is not obvious to a whole lot of folks who think the kingdom is here now and has been for the last two thousand years. The vast majority of Christendom believes that. All the uh, denominations, Catholic and, and Protestant, your, your, your mainline Protestant denominations are amillennial. Catholics and, and, and Presbyterians and Lutherans and you know just on down the line, you're, you're the, again, the overwhelming majority of Christendom doesn't understand this passage. That, that, it, that it's waiting Today is not the time of glory. Today is the time of suffering. So he says, um, the glory that shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creature, back up in verse 19, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now he's talking about creation. When When he talks about the creature, he's talking about all of creation. And he seems to be in this passage thinking of different things as he goes down through. Sometimes he speaks uh, as if he's thinking of living things, animals and, and, and so forth, and perhaps angels. Uh, other times he talks in more like he's referring to inanimate things, the universe itself and so forth. And he's talking about all of that. He's talking about the creature, the creation. And he says that the creation has a hope. It has an earnest expectation. And that's a good definition for hope, by the way. 
Paul uses that term more than once. The creation has an earnest expectation. The earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Come, come with me to uh, Colossians chapter 3, and let's get a look at the manifestation of the sons of God, shall we? Colossians chapter 3, we'll get a look at it sooner than, sooner than we know, I hope. Colossians chapter 3, in the meantime, we'll read about it. The manifestation of the sons of God. You and I are sons of God. Paul already told us that a couple of verses earlier in the passage. But we are not yet manifest sons of God. And that means we don't have our glorified bodies yet. We do not appear as the mighty ones that we talked about the other week who are called the sons of God in the Bible. The glorious ones. The great ones. Um, Colossians chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. You notice the similarity to our passage in in Romans. When Christ shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Now, there in that passage, when Paul says, when Christ shall appear, he's not talking about the rapture. Come, come to uh, Titus chapter 2. He's talking about a subsequent event to the rapture. When, when Christ appears at the rapture, you and I are not going to appear with Him in glory. We get our uh, resurrected bodies at the rapture, but there is uh, the issue of the judgment seat of Christ that determines um, what we talked about last week. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ if we suffer with Him. So we get our inheritance as children of God there at the rapture, but there's that judgment seat to go through that uh, where we will be judged for our works. And we will come out the other side with a degree of glory as the stars differ uh, from one another in glory, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. So that appearing with him in glory is not the rapture. Titus chapter 2. Uh, verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see that those are two different things in that verse. The blessed hope is your rapture. Paul tells the Thessalonians, uh, don't grieve, uh, don't sorrow as others who have no hope. And then he goes on to tell them about their hope. 
The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And he, the rapture, that's our hope. When he says there's one uh, body and one spirit and one hope of your calling, he's talking about the rapture. We, we share uh, that hope. But the blessed hope is one thing. We're looking for not only the blessed hope, but that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that happens afterward, when the Lord Jesus Christ is manifest in His glory to the universe, not only to His church, but to creation, to the creature that Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 8. When that happens, there will be a formal presentation the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of all things, to His uh, His kingdom, His universal uh, kingdom, far above all heavens and so forth. When that happens, you and I will be with Him. When Christ shall appear, then shall we also, ye also, appear with Him in glory. So you've got the rapture, then you've, you, we all go through the judgment seat of Christ, and then uh, we come out with what we come out with. Paul says some uh, people, their work will be burned, and they'll be saved, yet so as by fire. You ever see anybody saved from a fire? You come out with nothing, right? But your life, you get your life, you're saved. But your clothes are singed and, and you got what's on your back barely and, and all of your possessions are gone. So there's that on the one extreme. And then there is um, shining in, in, the, in the ultimate glory, the fullness of Christ that, that God wants for all of us. So what we're looking for is two things. We're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing. The blessed hope, the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. The Lord Himself, Paul says, shall descend from heaven with a shout. Then we go up to meet with Him, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. At the glorious appearing, it's not the Lord Himself, it's the Lord and all of us glorified. Because we're joint heirs with Him. When He inherits the universe, we're there with Him. We're the body of Christ. Back in Romans chapter 8. What Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 8 is not the blessed hope, it's the glorious appearing. That's why I'm parsing between those two things for you here. Paul's talking about the manifestation of the sons of God. You and I are not manifest uh, at the rapture. We're caught up at the rapture, taken away at the rapture. We are presented to the universe at the glorious appearing. And that's what Paul's talking about here. The earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God that day of the glorious appearing of Christ when we, the sons of God, will be manifest, joint heirs with Him. For the, for the um, creature, verse 20, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Now come back with me to uh, Genesis chapter 3. We all know the passage. This is what Paul is referring to here. Uh, and it's interesting, he, he talks about the creation as if it has a will. 
He says the creature was made subject to vanity not willingly. It's as if the creation was kind of dragged kicking and screaming into death as, as you and I can understand. That's how you go into death, right? Kicking and screaming. But his point there is not so much that the rocks and the trees, not at all, that the rocks and the trees have a will, or even that the animals didn't want to do it and, and, and they were under duress. The point is that it wasn't their doing. It was the will of Adam. It was Adam's willfulness that got this creation into the mess that it's in. It wasn't the creature didn't uh, come into vanity, into corruption, into death, willingly, willfully, because of some act of its own. It was brought along because of the act of another. Now, you and I were part of that fallen creation. We talked about that back in chapter 5. So, it's not only that we get that uh, corrupt nature from Adam, but all of creation gets it. Um, Genesis chapter 3, uh, Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and uh, God comes, and um, verse um, 12, And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, Adam speaking to God, she gave of me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam... He said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So because of Adam's willful disobedience, the creation uh, um, labeled the ground here is cursed. The world is cursed. Other places uh, in, in Job, it says the heavens are not clean in God's sight. And this whole uh, creation is what Paul calls in Romans 8, subject to bondage. The bondage of corruption. Corruption is death. So, so the creation became subject to death. Subject to bondage. Because of uh, a son of God. You go to Luke and you run the genealogy of Christ all the way back to Adam, and it says he was this one was the son of this one, was the son of this one, was the son of Seth, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. So by one son of God, the creation falls into uh, into a curse, and by 
the second man, the last Adam, the Son of God, the Son of God, the creation, is delivered from that curse. But Jesus Christ doesn't act alone in that deliverance because the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation not of the Son of God, but of the sons of God. You and me, as joint heirs with Christ. The the creation is going to be delivered from this bondage of corruption, of death. And Paul says there that the the creature was made subject to vanity not willingly, not, not by any act of its own, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same, God subjected, put the curse on creation, in hope. So again, the, the creation has a hope. And the hope is right here in the passage we just read. I will put enmity, verse 15, between thee, the serpent, and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And there's a promise here, it, preceding the curse. Before the curse, there is hope. Hope that the serpent and his work will be destroyed. That God will send one, another man, the seed of the woman, to destroy what the devil just uh, uh, just did. To destroy the devil's destruction. So, so there's a hope in, in the curse. And you, you notice, it's interesting there, the, uh, the, the serpent goes on his belly and he eats dust all the days of his life. That's his curse. And then God curses the dust that the serpent gets to eat. So the serpent gets to go through his life eating cursed dust. Uh, And then Adam, the end of his judgment, of his curse, is that he crumbles back into that cursed dust that wasn't cursed when he came out of it. Anyway, um, point being that the creation is in this uh, is in this bondage of corruption, and it's waiting for our revelation, for you and me to be revealed as the sons of God. You say, well, why is it waiting for that? Well. Come with me. Get uh, where do we want to go? Get get Isaiah. Get Isaiah chapter fifty-five. Let's work our way back. We'll do it that way. Isaiah chapter fifty-five, and let's look at that deliverance as we head back towards Romans, um, because in that time, now Paul says the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And the idea there is that the uh, the pain and the travail should have been over, but it's not. It's still lingering until now. Uh, and the reason it's still lingering is because of the grace of God. Is because of this dispensation of grace that put off the kingdom because it put off the wrath that was to precede that kingdom. But in that kingdom, this hope that Paul's talking about is going to be uh, is going to be realized. Now, um, where did I tell you, Isaiah fifty-five? Um, 
I've got so many verses. Yeah, let's okay, let's do that. We're here. Isaiah 55. I want to go back to 35 after this. Um, verse 12. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. You see this? This is the same uh, kind of thought of, of, of personifying the creation and giving the creation a personality that Paul takes there in, in Romans 8 when he talks about it having a will and having a hope. And, and the earnest expectation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. And when, when that happens, when the glorious appearing occurs and the sons of God on heaven and earth those kingdom saints said that He came unto His own and His own received Him not, but to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. And John says, Brethren, we are now the sons of God, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, then we shall uh, appear with Him because we will, we will be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So the kingdom saints are looking for that same thing. They're looking for the appearing of Christ in glory so that they can take on their manifest form as the sons of God. Uh, and when that happens, creation rejoices. There is a shout of rejoicing from creation. Now, I personally wouldn't, wouldn't take that literally, at least not from the rocks and the trees. But you think about it. You ever go out in the woods at night? The woods are a scary place at night. There's not a lot of happy sounds. It's a lot of low uh, growling and moaning and, and screeching and everything. All the creatures, they're all seem to be and are, according to Romans 8, groaning and travailing in pain. They're not out there making happy noises. They're not shouting for joy and clapping their hands. They're, uh, they're, uh, they're violent and they're predatory and they're scared. You ever see a bird just standing there minding his own business? He can't stop doing this, twitching his head. He's looking all around to see who's going to kill him in the next second. That's how they spend their life. That's how creation spends its existence in the bondage of corruption because of what Adam did. Its deliverance by the grace of God is going to be in us. We have the first fruits. We're the beginning of that new creature. Jumping ahead of myself. Back in Isaiah. Um, the hills are going to break forth into singing. All the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name for all, uh, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. You see that? Instead of the thorn. Where did the thorn come from? Genesis 3. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Thorns shall it bring in thistles and so forth. All of that is, is part of the curse. So those, those elements of the curse are replaced. They're going to be replaced. The creation is going to be delivered. Chapter 35. 
if you would, Isaiah 35. And the Bible talks about this throughout. And uh, in at the end of Isaiah, and we'll go there in a minute, and in Revelation, it talks about a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth that's not cursed. Uh, Isaiah chapter 35, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. Talking about, get, get, uh, talking about Israel if you get the earlier context and the, the servants of God. Uh, the desert shall rejoice and blossom. As a rose, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall break, waters break out, and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons, where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes, and it and it goes on. Uh, let's read it the next few verses there. And a highway shall be there, and a way it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, Though fools shall not err therein, no lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go upon it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. See, that, that uh, we groan within ourselves that Paul talks about until now, that's going to flee away. And not for us only, but for the whole creation. Now, we know all of that and we look forward to all of that. But what I want you to see and what Paul is bringing out in Romans 8 is that that begins and rests in us. The deliberate, the, 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 the deliverance of the creation works through you and me as the manifest sons of God at that day. Come to, uh, come to chapter 65. And this is on the heels of Paul saying that the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Our glory has to do with this, with what we're talking about here. It has to do with the, with the, uh, with the redemption and the deliverance of this universe, of all of creation. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 65 um, Let's just get a couple of couple of verses right at the end of the chapter. Um, boy, we could just um, my eye is going back, 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 and I don't want to go back that far. Verse seventeen says, "For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth." 
And the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. And he, he, he goes on there and he talks about Jerusalem, uh, uh, people living to a very old age, and so forth. And just look at the last verse, verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like a bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. So the serpent's diet doesn't change, does it? He gets dust back from, back from chapter 3. But it's not cursed anymore. And they shall not uh, hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. You see, the animals are, gonna, are not going to be predators anymore. The lion is going to be vegetarian. He's going to eat straw like an ox. Snakes won't bite. The lion and the, uh, the wolf is not going to eat the lamb. They're going to lay down together. It's going to go back to the way it was before the curse, before the flood. The creation is going to be, is going to be redeemed. You know, people, people ask me a, a, a common question that you get when people realize that you know something about the Bible. Is about is is about animals. What about you know? What about Fluffy? And I don't know about Fluffy. I'm not going to say anything about Fluffy. But I do know that in eternity and in the plan of God, animals are not going to die. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. There's not going to be any killing, death, sorrow, and sighing, and death. Is gonna is gonna flee away. It's gonna be gone, and that's not just you and me. We won't have to experience it, but we won't have to be in the presence of it either. It'll be gone. Death was never part of the plan. Once you pick a fruit off the tree and eat it, I guess you're killing it doing that. But aside from that, there's no death. No death in God's plan. The creation. This didn't happen to the creation willingly. There, the, crea the creation is pictured in the Bible as just waiting and aching to be delivered from this from this bondage that it that it lives in. Now, 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 come with me to um, get Second Corinthians chapter five, get Revelation chapter twenty one. Second Corinthians chapter five in one hand. Revelation chapter 21 and another, in, in the other. I said another as if you had more than two. Um, just take your pick of your other hands to get Revelation in. Uh, Revelation 21, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we know, we know both of these passages. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse. 17, let's just get the verse. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we know that verse. If you and I are in Christ, we are a new creature. I'm a new creature. <clears throat> You're a new creature. But it's interesting, that's the same word that Paul uses in our passage in Romans chapter 8 when he's talking about creation. And you and I are a new creation. Individually and corporately. 
The body of Christ is a new creature. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul calls it a new man. Something God never made before. It's a new creation. Uh, and, and he says, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Revelation 21. And I heard uh, verse uh, 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them. And by the way, can I point out to you that you and I today are the tabernacle of God? This here in Revelation 21 is in the future. Today, it's you and me. God Himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. That's what we just read in Isaiah. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And He said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And look in verse 1. What is he talking about? I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. So in, the, uh, in talking about you and me, we are described as new creatures. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And then you look at the new heaven and the new earth, the new creation, and it's the exact same language. Behold, I make all things new. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. It's a new creation. So there's a connection there between you and me uh, as a new creature, a new entity, a new creation of God, and the new creation that He's going to bring when you and I are manifest, are fully manifest to be the, uh, the, the fruition of the creation of the body of Christ. Manifest, glorified sons of God. When that happens, it triggers the rest of the new creation. Get Ephesians chapter 2. I'll quit in a minute. I'm sorry for apologizing for the time, but it is 8 o'clock, so I won't go too much over. Bob told me don't apologize for it, but I feel compelled. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2 and Romans chapter 1. You'll remember in Romans chapter 1, we were there, oh, seven, eight months ago when we started the book of Romans, almost a year ago. Uh, you remember this verse, Romans chapter 1, verse um, Romans 1, and I've got Ephesians 2 also. Romans 1, sorry for pulling these out two at a time on you, but we've got to compare these things side by side. Um, verse 19, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, while we studied this passage, Paul's talking about knowing God through the creation. That is, having some revelation of God through what he calls the things that are made. The creation. That phrase, the things that are made, 
is the word poiema, poiema in the in the Greek. We get our word poem from that word. The idea being a symphony, a, a cosmos, an orderly uh, creation, something that's made. But it's not just something that's made, it's an orderly, designed, again, a, a poem, a symphony. Ephesians chapter 2, Romans 1 and Ephesians 2 are the only two times that Paul uses that word. Ephesians chapter 2 and Romans 1, he's talking about the creation. In Ephesians chapter 2, um, verse 8 and 9, we know, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That word workmanship, it's the word poema. Poema. Same word used to describe you and me as creations of God, as, a cre- as, as the creature of God and the universe. We are God's poema. We are God's poem. We are God's symphony. We are God's creation. Just as the universe is God's creation and there's a connection between the two. Come back to Romans 8. We'll close it up. And that connection has to do with our glory. The Lord Jesus Christ, His glory is manifest in that He is exalted far above all things in heaven and earth. The the creation. He is the beginning, Paul says in Colossians. The firstborn from the dead. That in all things He should have the preeminence. Christ is the beginning. He's the firstborn, Paul says, of every creature. That is, he holds that. He's not the one that was born first. He was never born. His, the eternal Son of God wasn't. But he is the, the position. He has the position of the firstborn. He gets the inheritance, in other words. But again, you and I are joint heirs with Christ. And we also, in Christ, are the beginning of God's new creation. Listen, that's what Paul's getting at here in Romans chapter 8. You and I, as members of the body of Christ, and in their part, the kingdom saints as well, we are the beginning of the new creation. Romans chapter 8. Um Verse 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You want to see that. The creation is delivered into our liberty. It's our liberty. And the creation partakes of it. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. It's not come yet. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have what? The first fruits of the Spirit. You see, this is where the Spirit of God is headed. Towards this new creation. A whole new creation. 
get rid of the old one and deliver the creature creation into this glorious liberty. That's the plan. You and I have the first fruits. You know what the first fruits are? You go out and you plant your field and the and the and the and the first the crop that comes up, the crop that that is the uh foreshadow of the field to come, of the harvest to come. That's you and me. The first fruits of the new creation. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. Everything that the Spirit is going to do, He started doing in us. And that liberty that the creation is going to be delivered into resides in us. That's our glory. It is delivered into our liberty because we are its lords, joint heirs with Christ. We rule far above all heavens over that creation. It's our liberty that it enjoys. It becomes our uh, beneficiary and we are its benefactor of the creation, of the universe. That's the glory that Paul is talking about when he says these, these little piddly sufferings that we go through in this present time, it's not worthy to be compared. We're the beginning of the new creation. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body and we'll stop there so that's what we are uh, that's what we're waiting for and that is the adoption remember I said to you adoption with God is not like adoption here adoption with God is making us full grown fully manifest fully privileged sons and that happens when we get our resurrected glorified body that's the adoption and when that happens, the rest of the universe is triggered into this liberty that it has been hoping for and expecting earnestly for these last 6,000 years. We're the trigger by the grace of God. We'll finish it there.